Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist that Alex could never have actually gotten unless I was his friend from 10 years ago. Happy 35th birthday to me, your host, Alex McKay. Landline Podcast. The only thing I want you to do for my birthday is call the landline, 503-894-8480. Tell me what you love about Landline so that I can splice it into the content and attract more bees to this Honeywell. Honeywell? Beehive. Let's check the messages. Next voice message sent Wednesday, April 4th at 6.13 p.m. I'm super excited to listen to the Sean podcast for the last couple of weeks. All I've been thinking about was how cool it would be to listen to that, and I haven't yet, but I see that he's uh, up this week. I've been very busy, and um, just super stoked to see that or listen to your podcast. I visualize things when I listen to him, so it's kind of seeing for me. <laughs> it could be like a blind person in the desert. No water, no sight. But uh, I'm stoked. Thank you uh, for having him on. I'm excited to listen to it. I'll be doing that tomorrow and then giving feedback. I hope y'all are well. Love you. Bye. Landline. Hey, hello. Landline. Hey, how are you? I was just worried that I might be calling your father, John Lucy. I had a no. heart palpitation in the middle. <laughs> he make a good guess. What are you? Uh, you're on the podcast right now. I, th- I thought awesome. I thought I would just do like around the horn with ten minutes with like four different people and turn that into a podcast. Nice. That sounds good. Are you hard at work? Like, are we interrupting? Um, you know, I'm actually about, I'm getting some socks out for John, and then I have to go downstairs, and we're going to do some uh, pre-drum class drum exercises to uh, get him back on track. He has class here in just a little bit. All right, so not a good time? Probably not the best, but um, I would be able to take a call, let's say, around 5 o'clock today. 9? 5? Five. All right. Fair enough. Hey, really quickly. Why does Congress, does Congress have the ability to call Mark Zuckerberg like legally (laughs) or do they, or is that just them, him doing what he thinks is right so he doesn't get in trouble? Yeah. I don't think that you could subpoena somebody. Well, obviously you've got the fifth amendment, right? So he doesn't have to go in there and tell them anything that's going to incriminate him himself, you know? And so, no, I would not say that. I mean, what crime has he committed? That's the question. You know, I mean, is there is he being up on federal charges? That's the only time that I would ever go anywhere. Um, the government, as it acts now, is not the way that it's supposed to act. They just do what they want, basically. And that's my biggest beef with them. So he's that. just saving face because of he wants to make sure his lobbying dollars continue to have an impact down the road. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I just think that, um, you know, he's running kind of a, you know, I mean, he everybody knows what he's doing. That's the thing. And when everyone's talking about how Cambridge Analytica took these people's data and gave it to Donald Trump, I mean, the honest truth is that he did the same thing for Barack Obama 
you know, and everybody was all stoked on it. Like, you know, I've read articles back in the day about how Obama's brilliance of using the social network to reach out and organize was like this great thing. And all of a sudden, since somebody else has done it, that they don't like, they're all angry. Um, but no, back to the point. Sorry. I, no, I don't see how, I don't see what they could do to compel them to go in there. All right. I think Congress does have some sort of power to call witnesses, but I guess you could always oppose it. All right. Well, then the only other question I had for you um, was, uh, isn't it weird how Sheryl Sandberg wrote the lean in book all about like women's independence and women in the workplace? And she's like the number she's like the second in command at Facebook and is basically also in charge of all these things that liberals hate. Um, I can't really speak to that because I don't know anything about that lady, but, um, it's, I think it's just funny though. It's kind of like what you would always hope for. Like the thing is falling apart. It seems like, or at least, you know, it's getting attention. Um, but again, like we talked about earlier, if you don't read the contract, if you don't understand what you're getting into with these big corporations that are using all your data, then that's on you. There's no governmental protection against that. Right. Like you talked about that during our time together all right what's the best podcast that you've listened to so far then i'll hang up on a, um, on, on landline just if no one's your ever mom's. i think your mom's because she was actually like genuine wow all right yeah. I'll, I'll call her next okay all see right. ya bye love you landline I've just sent an email to the webmaster of the Portland Geology Group. About what? Well, I want to hire a guide for a tour. Oh, excellent. All right. Are you hoping, are you, are you optimistic that they'll get back to you? Well, he'll get certainly get back to me, but it's perhaps too short notice. I told, I said I would be happy to make a contribution to a charity or an honorarium to a, um, a guide. What about going on a boat up the Columbia? This time of year? Well, it's another idea. So, I mean, you, you mean a tourist boat? Yeah. Or, oh, or they have uh, day trips? Yeah, if uh, maybe I'll find a day trip where we can go from Portland to Hood River or something like that. Hmm. I, okay. Well, I guess it's first of April. They um, they're doing it. I'd be a little surprised, but yeah, why not? I don't want to go to the mouth of the Columbia. Okay. <laughs> We've been there. No. You, that is the world's biggest waves. Right. Uh, oh, you mean on the boat you don't want to go there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Is mom home? Yeah, she is. All right, I need, you're on the podcast. I need to ask her something for the podcast. Can I put, okay. this, can I put this on the internet? Yep. Okay. The podcast guy is on. He's got a question. I couldn't nail down a guest, so I have to do a potpourri. I think my idea of... Hi. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Mom, you're on the podcast. I'm sorry? You're on the podcast. Okay, hi. Can we have 10 minutes of your time? Sure. So the reason I called is because I'm doing a potpourri for my birthday edition um, because I couldn't nail down a guest. Yes. So I asked John Lucy who his favorite podcast was of anyone he'd listened to, and he said you, so I called you next. Oh. Because he said you were the most genuine. Oh, that's great. So can you just tell us why you quit Facebook and if that rumor is true? Yes, the rumor is true that I quit Facebook 
um, I was feeling, before all of the stuff came out about um, Cambridge Analytica and all of that, I was actually feeling very unhappy with Facebook because it was making me dislike people that I like. Wow. So when the whole thing came out about, you know, the people's profiles and all of that, it was just kind of the crowning glory. But that's not really why I did it. I really did it because I think, like you, I feel that as much information as I could get from it that was very helpful about organizations and things that were going on, that I really was found it hard to um, – it just – I didn't like – I don't like the way people use it. I don't like the way they use it um, politically. Like, I don't want any – I don't want to see people in being disrespectful in print to anybody. I may think that the president, I may wish that Trump were not president, but I don't believe in calling him names. So have you, how has your behavior changed getting your information? Not, you know, no judgment here, but obviously there's a pretty, it's almost like an exercise routine. You, you must have used Facebook for specific things and that's now gone. So are you finding yourself just not doing those exercises anymore? Or are you looking someplace else on the internet for them? Well, I have to say that it's not easy to give up Facebook. Yeah, and Wait. like you mean like physically quitting? No, no, no. That part, um, I actually haven't completely signed off because it was probably more time than I wanted to take. So I've, it's not decommissioned, but whatever the term is. So you get emails in your I- inbox no, every. No, I get nothing. Okay, I get nothing. And if I want to um, find, like, do a search about something and it ends up being on Facebook, I have to actually re, um, not, I don't have to rejoin, but I have to put in my uh, password and all of that stuff again. So I, I can't really get very much information out of Facebook anymore. But okay, well, like wait, if- hold on. Now, I'm not attacking you because I think it's great and we're on the same team. But it sounds like you signed out of Facebook. You didn't quit Facebook. Those no, are the... I. What's the? There is a term. Okay. Well, you made your I, account I didn't sign inact- out. All I have to do inactive. Is it an in, inactive account? I don't know because I don't know. But so I we we'll try. I mean, we trust that you're doing what you think is right. It's just interesting if you if all you have to do is sign back in with your email, then you didn't really quit. Right, but I didn't go far enough to the whole. I didn't go far enough to do all of the things that you have to do. I just want to click a button and be done with it, not be able to get back on it. Gotcha. I wasn't leaving because of Facebook's creepiness, although I think that it's really creepy. I was leaving because I didn't want to see the posts of other people anymore. Right. All right. People, so, not organizations. So tell us I, more about how it's hard, it's difficult to quit Facebook like you were gonna. You were gonna tell us that it was a difficult thing to do, and I think that's interesting. Well, so it's like, you know, I've been listening to some of your podcasts, and your—I forget who it was with. Um, maybe it was your friend, who's the thousandologist. 
The thousand uh, talking about it, uh, social media as an addiction, and that's the best way that I can say my morning routine after I have my coffee and I read the paper is to go to my computer, and then I had a I have a sort of a tradition of what I go to, you know, from the New York Times as my homepage to Gmail, my my email to Facebook. Right. So that routine is hard to break. Maybe you need to get into sports gambling. That could be your third well, it, right, leg. Something. But it also is there were there are people who I don't know how to communicate with except through um, Facebook Messenger, and I did also get Messenger off of. I think you can use that anyway, but I got, took that off of my, you know, I removed that app. So... And have so you been, there are people that I can't communicate with because I don't have their email. And are you just what's your strategy? You're going to wait to run into them again and get their email? Well, I think some of them are from my 50th high school reunion, and I actually have a piece of paper somewhere with their email. So if I want to be in touch with them, I can. I haven't yet thought of who is somebody that I want to be in touch with that I can't be in touch with. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it hasn't happened yet. But I know that that's true. It's also true that there are things that I won't know about. Some of them are theater things because I like various um, plays that may be in production. So I'll know when they're coming to New York or when they're doing this or that. Well, there is, just to remind you, and you're a great patron of the arts, there are really well-run, well-written, probably blogs. The blog still exists. It was completely jumped over for social media, but the blog was a great internet utility at one time where all those publications were just using Facebook as their delivery system to you. So you might just have to find them and bookmark them in your web browser, and then you can go check, and there'll be like announcements from whatever the New York theater trade is. I don't know what it is, but, the, you know, the equivalent of well, variety. I mean, I can, there are some of those things that I get in email form. Absolutely. But it was just sort of the lineup. It's like it's part of the way you receive information. The lineup is just right there. Um, they certainly made it nice for us. There are a lot of recipe things that just kind of pop up. I could, I can actually, same thing search for their, that site and go on the site and but it's and it isn't really very important it was just part of the information that came into me every day that was kind of fun all right changing subjects what are what kind of spring recipes are you excited for or is it still too winter where you it's live so wintry here that i um i have no there are a couple of things with rhubarb that i want to do like a chicken and um, I think it's fennel and rhubarb that I think sounds really good. But honestly, I haven't gone to the farmer's market because I haven't been here. But there is nothing left at the co-op that's local. Yeah, it's the worst time of the year in New England. It's not actually February and March. It's April and May before the stuff comes because you can still eat beets and and potatoes and onions and carrots and stuff like that in April, March. But by now, you're basically just eating California until the first stuff right. comes out. And so there's plenty of, um, you know, chicken and meat and eggs and things like that. But it's really hard. I mean, I am eating, a, we're having asparagus tonight from um, California. 
And okay. last last question on food. What do you do with radishes besides put them in a bowl in water to be served with salt on your counter? Cause I... Well, often that's I eat them so fast that that's the only way that they ever end up in the house because that I love them that way. You can, but a couple of things you can do, you can slice them and put them in rice wine vinegar, either seasoned or not, and they pickle really fast and they're delicious, you know, like a refrigerator pickle, not a, and there is nothing more delicious than a piece of really, really good bread, toasted or whatever, with goat cheese, radish on top, and salt and pepper. Yep. That's That's maybe a little lemon or vinegar or something like that. Sure, or whatever. A, a pickled, or on, a pickled on your, onion. Uh, avocado toast. Yeah, well, we're against avocado toast on Landline. Um, okay, before I leave you, who was your favorite podcast that you listened to in the last two or three months from Landline? Um, well, you know how I feel when I like them all and I find them enter- really entertaining unless I hear something that I wish I didn't know. Well, that's fine, but, you know, just... But I really liked Max talking about gun control. All right. That's where we'll go next. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought that was so interesting, and he did a really good job. Um, Yeah, so take it away with Max. All right, thanks for talking. Okay, love you. Tell Dad good luck on the geology tours. Okay. All right, bye. Bye. Landline. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. One zero seven is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Max, Landline Podcast here. My mom just said you were her favorite guest of the last few episodes. Let's say the episodes of winter 2018. So we're calling you. It's my potpourri birthday episode. Call us back. We'll talk about Mark Zuckerberg and Sheets and uh, Hardee's, your three favorite topics. Also, you got to tell us about Bojangles. Okay, bye. Suck it. Why don't you ever pick up the phone? Come on, let's get it done. End of message. Message erased. Landline. Saul? Yeah. Do you have 10 minutes for my potpourri birthday podcast? Potentially. I'm sitting in the gargantuan lobby of an extremely fancy New Orleans hotel where I just checked in. Wow. Per- perfect. Several dozen oysters, so I'm in a good mood of slightly sluggish. And are you wearing a suit? I am, obviously, but I'm going to change into a three piece suit for dinner. At uh, Antoine's in about an hour. And Antoine, the oldest, yeah, go ahead. The oldest uh, operating restaurant in the United States. So time is, I got last time I got nailed with a, a sazerac and a bowl of turtle soup before I could say good evening. 
So you're a you're a you know you you like it all. You like a greasy cheeseburger when one is appropriate, and you like a turtle soup when you're when you want to act like a Chinese aristocrat. So when you go to a restaurant that's 500 years old, or what is it? It's got to be probably 275 years old. That's my guess. That's the over under. Um, yeah. Is the food good, or is it more of like a tourist trap? Oh no, the food's extraordinary. Um, now the thing, the key is the the waiter. So the the waiter we have is a friend of my brother's, and he's a third generation Antoine's waiter. His grandfather worked there. His father worked there. His relatives worked there. His wife works there, and he works there. And so you don't really do much of like perusing a menu. And I'm sure plenty of tourists walk in and have a great experience. But this is a kind of more curated event in the best possible way. And what what sort of behaviors are you trying to avoid with such a you know regal king of the city? I guess regal king is sort of redundant. Well, I don't I don't like to splash turtle soup on my linen waistcoat. That's always a danger. Um, I need to walk out with more energy than last time. Last time, by the time we had polished off the banana foster, which is a specialty of theirs, um, I felt a little sort of. Um, long in the tooth and slow in the feet so and then obviously there's the sort of normal perils of the you know long dinner which is just that too many drinks can make a mockery out of even the most well-intentioned man true well i'm going around the horn here and something that might disturb you a little bit is that when i asked my mom who i just got off the phone with who her favorite podcast guest was she paused but then said max about gun control but i do want to i guess soften the blow by telling you that she also called you extraordinarily articulate in a private conversation we had that wasn't recorded so i assume that if she was given a chance to do a number 2 so to speak that she would have chosen you <laughs> well look there's Besides clouding me in a sunny afternoon, there's a, there's a few things I have to say. Number one, um, all I ask of anyone is that they review me on the totality of my collected accomplishments, not one little flash in the pan sizzle. And so maybe Max did a great little speech on gun control, and maybe Max came off in you know, ways that he ordinarily would not. Um, that worked to his advantage in this situation. But I think your mom's being incredibly unfair to give him the nod based on a couple minutes of a sort of fireworks show instead of, you know, someone who's been laboriously at it day in, day out for years. Well, it's true. I mean, listen, when I when I have to have a go-to guest, it's usually ends up being you and Max, although my brother-in-law is definitely making uh, making a run for it on the outside. But... Uh, Max, he wants to talk about like how mad he is about the staff at Hardee's because they didn't serve him his number four plus a spicy chicken sandwich in time for him to get back to his job at the doggy daycare. And you like to speak about, you know, searching for the perfect caviar or diamonds in, in Iran and, and Russia. So I feel like it's just it's sort of like highbrow, lowbrow between the two of you. That's fine, but why is your mom punishing me for my good taste? 
Well, I don't think she is. Maybe she hasn't heard. I don't, I don't think ineptitude should be rewarded. Well, maybe she hasn't gone back into the archives far enough to see some of your incredible points of view. For instance, your driving across the country episode where you talked about how there's no food in convenience stores in the middle of Nebraska, even though all you see for hundreds of thousands of miles is corn everywhere you look. So I'm getting a little hot under the spread collar of my shirt. Your mom's exact words were, I dislike Saul's podcast and Max is wonderful. No, no. I just want to make sure that I have the quote right. No, I, I'm doing sort of a Russian roulette of of guests because it's my birthday and because I'll t- you know what I'll tell you let's let's go with it for this I just I wanted to have me too month on landline podcast where I had an entire month where it was only female guests because I'm having a lot of internal conflict about how I don't have any female friends I have female family members who love me very much and think I'm very entertaining and funny and smart and rely on me including my wife my mother and my sister all of them have been on the podcast but I don't have any women I can call that I feel are not my friends' wives. And that is kind of a weird moment for me. I wonder if my behavior in the past is such that I basically was going elephant hunting and didn't consider how maybe by shooting elephants they would go extinct. So now I have no strong women to rely on as a podcast guest. And so I tried to schedule something for this week and I had a really good idea, but she ended up canceling on me, which speaks also to the challenges of doing a podcast where you can't pay the person and you can't offer them thousands of listeners because there aren't any, you really have no leverage with your guests. But, um, do you feel like you have friendship comes in? Do you feel like you have female friends? You know, it's a great question. I'll, I'll give you two answers. I, I do, but I also feel like I have fewer than I should, fewer than I want to, and fewer than I used to. A few of them fell by the wayside. I I felt like in college and graduate school, I had really close, and obviously high school, I had really close female friends. And now I'm down to like one or two. I'd say that I, I had about, there's about five or six women in my life who used to be in my life, I should say, to be accurate who I, I thought I'd be great friends with for kind of the foreseeable future, um, who apparently I'm not. And there's no animosity and there's no falling out. I just, we're not friends anymore because we don't talk to each other ever. So I'm down to like one or two and I'm worried about it. It's a really good point for you to bring that up. Yeah, and I, I just think that it feeds into sort of the entire cultural awareness around male-female relationships that we're currently doing a deep dive on. And I sort of wanted to bring that thread into my conversations with the women over Me Too month. Um, but here I am without – here I am talking to you. So, Right, uh, right, uh, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I do think that – there is a a balance between being a 20-something male who's single and establishing relationships around what you hormonally are prioritizing at the time and then retroactively looking back at those relationships and realizing that maybe the way that you went in like a hurricane um, looking to blow down the house wasn't necessarily the best way to, you know, be able to reach out to those people 10 years later and be thought of 
in terms that were, I guess, uh, positive. Having said that, though, how do I know that a lot of the women from my past actually wouldn't love hearing from me and love to do a podcast from me? But it's a very strange reality to reach out to them. Like, what can you reach out to ex-girlfriends and tell them that you're married with a kid and you want to do a podcast with them? Talk about something that social media might help that is actually, you know, absent because it just feels like so awkward emailing them. And by the way, my guest today and my guest that I plan for next week, neither of them were romantic whatsoever. So they're, they're obviously, Wait, I'm, you mean I'm, me? sta- I'm, st- I'm your guest. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyways, that was a long diatribe. I don't know if it made any sense, but Wait, here's, but here's what I'm wondering. Like, how, how would you fix it? Like, just, just for example, could you be the guy who like, goes on tinder tomorrow and says only looking for friends and find some friendly woman to swipe with and somehow convince her that you are actually only looking for friends no i guess if you no, like it's a little it's a little like it's a little if i may digress for just a moment it's a little like just san francisco back wait oh, wait Saul, so start over you just it's a little like and then you and then you went out can you just say it's a little like what well, it's a, it's a little like when I first moved out to San Francisco uh, back, you know, a number of years, and I was trying to, um, I wanted to make friends there too, and then it turns out that it's even harder possibly to make male friends and female friends, at least if you don't want them to think that you're secretly just trying to screw them. And I remember, like, distinctly putting an ad up on, like, Craigslist looking for tennis partners, and a lot of the replies I got were versions of like, we could definitely play tennis and then maybe give each other nude massages afterwards. Wow. By the way, this is obviously guys saying this, not women. Right. Um, And so I sort of felt like this sort of trap of like, how, how do I actually make new friends and convince them that I actually genuinely am seeking friendship and I'm coming from like a good, honest place. So that's a little like what it is like, in your situation now, like, how could you go out and, like, meet a woman and at the same time ever not secretly or vocally question whether you're really just trying to, you know, do all sorts of things that violate the general principles of friendship and Me Too and everything else? Well, also, how do I explain it to my wife? Not that she would care, but it's just I do think there is a built-in weirdness around I made a new friend and I'm going to... I don't know. What do you even go do with a woman friend that isn't your wife if you're married? Well, I know what I do, which is go to Barney's. <laughs> but that's true. But that's where Raul can make friends and Saul cannot. <laughs> well, perhaps you're right. But look, you could do, I don't know, you could do any number of things. Um, there's movies. There's, you know, there's sort of bar and restaurant activities, um, maybe a nice, like, jogging partner, uh, possibly, you know, a um, a friend to, yeah, I mean, as you can see, you know, this is running out of steam, but, I mean, there's there's technically any number of things you could do. Yeah, you could technically have an affair after all those things, too. Not that that's what I'm in the market for. It's just interesting. Like, you think about the prototypical movie scenario where someone's like oh, I've got a new jogging partner and it's a woman or a man and then um, and so maybe it, you need to follow the orthodox Jew model and only go out when you're 
publicly chaperoned. You know, like you could you could have coffee in a hotel lobby because you wouldn't be touching each other, and there'd be other people around to sort of guard you and make sure there's no hanky panky. It's a good idea. There's got to be some sort of like weird yuppie app that's been developed that's around like oh there was a here's an example there was like a hugging there was a hugging bar in portland somebody invented basically like you could pay it to like snuggle with people in a non-sexual way that's so horrible they should be shot they should be dragged out and shot that's a disgusting (laughs) thing oh my gosh all right well um why not you know at that point just go to a bathhouse and grill up there yeah well, maybe that's what we'll talk about next time on Landline. So I, to completely – now there's a lot here. I think we should get back into this another show. Um, I know that you're going to have pending social events that you have to defer to. But I do think – I'm not sure – I am, but to be honest now, I'm, I'm so worked up about your mom that what she said that it's going to be really hard for me to pay attention to anything on my calendar for the next 48 hours. <laughs> All right, well – just to I you know I, I think sometimes I listen to myself on this podcast and don't know if I actually have like filled in all of the blanks so that I know what I was trying to say but I don't necessarily articulate it. What I it's what sort of I, like when you bought that pair of glasses, those beautiful horned rim glasses that I felt made you look very handsome and stylish, and your mom hated them and said they were ugly. And there's times when maybe me and your mom just disagree about things, but in this case, we're disagreeing about how good I am and how talented I am. And that obviously hurts in a different way than your glasses. Saul, my mom called you brilliant and extraordinarily articulate. That's how she says extraordinary, extraordinarily articulate. So I wouldn't. Yeah, that's exactly. That's like when I send a short story out and it comes back with, with a letter saying, we loved your writing and we wish we could publish everything. And sadly, that's not the case. Do you think we have a chance, you know, this is now me like making a, a million to one bet that nobody got on 10 years ago. I made a million to one bet that Facebook would somehow fall in my own mind, in my own angry single male mind in New York in 2006. I made a made a bet that Facebook was going to hell in a handbasket. Are you starting to see big enough cracks in the dam that you could picture a world where Facebook doesn't exist? No, I mean, I, I wish. I really do. I'd, I'd love it if this failed. I think that everyone would be happier and better off, but there's there's no way. And, and there's no way. What do you what is the best case scenario for someone like me that comes out of this? this issue that it goes away in America and it's only used like in Africa for people like telling each other where there's clean water wells or something like that. That's too, that's too optimistic. Your, your best, your best case, most optimistic scenario is that Facebook gets in a fight with the government kind of the way that Microsoft did in the nineties and that it gets like, you know, like a piece chopped off of it. Like it's going to maybe like Facebook will walk away with like, you know, like three out of four limbs intact, but it's not its not going to be carried off in a stretcher. There's no way. Isn't it weird how... It's you... like, think about when Facebook went public, and I'm, I'm speaking from this, you know, I'm speaking as someone who hates Facebook, but think about when it went public, and the day after it went public, its issue price dropped by about 50%, um, and everyone was talking about how Facebook was, you know, cratering and all these bad things were happening, 
And fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with it. They just screwed up the IPO. And yet, for two weeks, all everyone would say was, you know, Facebook's falling apart. And obviously, they didn't. They figured out that they could still sell ads on small, tiny phone screens instead of giant desktop computers. So that's kind of what is happening now. Like, is it it in hot water? Yes. Is it going to have to do a dog and pony show of contrition and issue apologies and maybe accept regulation and, you know, take on some stock losses and maybe lose one-tenth of one percent of its customers? Yes. But Facebook as much as I hate to say it, is not going anywhere and is in zero existential danger. Here's an amazing thing about Mark Zuckerberg that popped into my head. We're used to having either sort of the young athlete who comes on to the stage, like think about LeBron. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 17 and it was, he, you know, he was anointed the king and that was, he's probably now, I don't know, 30. So that was, let's say, 15 years ago. Maybe it was 15 to 20 years ago. And he will ultimately be, become sort of a Michael Jordan slash Jay-Z combination where we still know about him. And he's still, you know, in the business section of the Times in 15 more years like Jordan is with owning the Charlotte Hornets or having steakhouses or just having an empire or a story about Nike and how he's still getting, you know, such a great deal out of whatever he signed when he was 25. Fine. That's all great. Or you have, if you want even a shorter flash in the pan, you have like the Carrie Strug, Tara Lipinski, Michael Phelps, you know, really young, really great for a few Olympics. Or the alternative is that you hear about some business magnate when they're 48 or 53 who finally figured out, you know, Warren Buffett. How when, when did Warren Buffett start to become part of the national lexicon? I would say he's in his late 80s, so it must have been like in his 50s, right? We have to – you and I are going to be 80, and Mark Zuckerberg is still going to be in the news. What a terrible world we're going to have to live in. This guy is not going away. He's the third richest person on earth, and he's 33, and he's not going to go anywhere. He's not going anywhere. So it's just – it's a, it's a whole oh. new world of the young – tech entrepreneur slash richest person on the planet you have to deal with, you know, there's no other dominance. I, you know, again, I, sports, golfers, Tiger Woods, sports is just it's sort of in the common lexicon. Even news broadcasters, right? Tom Brokaw, gone. Dan Rather, gone. Nobody lasts forever. Um, Don Imus. To be fair, Dan Rather's pulled off quite a comeback. I mean, within the last year, he had a best-selling book. He was on tour all over the country. He's constantly on TV. He is refashioned himself as a kind of favorite of the millennials by creating this like secondary website that he constantly contributes to news and gut. So he, you know, he's he's pulled off the sort of second act. Sure, but that's true. But he's not the richest man on the planet, and he's old. Like we've realized, he's old now. It's going to be a long time till Mark Zuckerberg is old. I, you can't compare Zuckerberg to athletes, so just in the sense that, with one or two exceptions here and there, like Jordan or something, that, you know, you're, an athlete is fundamentally limited by his own ability to continue whatever he's playing or doing. Sure, but even musicians, I guess the Rolling Stones, but even musicians fail to capture the sort of spotlight. But maybe he'll burn out. Maybe he won't be. I mean, I guess. Steve Jobs died young, so he'll always be that, you know, certain special person. Bill Gates has definitely 
um, preserved his status, and he's he's pretty young. It's just interesting that tech did that. You could never become as rich and powerful in any other industry as you could with tech. You you were never the head of Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley at at twenty three. So, uh, oh, yeah, totally agreed. Totally agreed. All right, I have twelve percent on my battery, which I forgot to plug in my laptop, and my baby is crying. Do you have you know forty five more minutes? Do you uh, do you have any parting shots? What tell us? Uh, what else are you going to do in New Orleans? Well, I mean, what I'm I'm going to do as much as I possibly can. What um, what are your top three food items that you're looking forward to, and then top three cocktails? I mean, cocktails. You know, it's, I'm I'm going to be at Richard Fisk's Martini Bar. That's the premier martini spot in the city. So obviously, that's one of them. Um, I'm going to enjoy at least like three Sazeracs during the next like six hours, um, and then I don't know. I'll probably try to find some some local you know concoction that you know makes me um happy when i drink it what is a sazerac say that once more time what is a sazerac it's a it's a rye based cocktail okay um little i think little sugar possibly a little vermouth but i could be making that up and then um what about food well, food, I'm going to go totally nuts, man. I'm going to go totally nuts. I'm going to eat at least six to seven courses tonight, followed up with a, a large, resoundingly large breakfast tomorrow. Um, and by lunchtime, I hope to be accused of grandiosity by at least three other table members who have never met me before. Well, I know you... This, 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 my weight. this isn't your... And I now I, I I guess my crying baby up from his nap is a good excuse for you. Um, but I just want to say this. I know you're not the scatological type and I won't embarrass you, but I do think this is a funny mention in this. I have, I have no interest in pursuing this conversation. <laughs> Come on. It's not. It's it's I'm ta- I'm going to be talking about you. If you want to talk toilet humor, go find someone else to do it with. But it's not me. What about public? What about it's a public uh, cultural reference? It's not about you. I mean, you say whatever you got to say, but I'm not. I'm not there with you. All right. Well, you know about that man versus food show, right? It was that guy from Harvard who got like a big break, and it should have been me. And he would go in and eat the sixty ounce steak at the Wyoming Steakhouse and get his name up. And you know, he'd be like having the meat sweats by the end of it, and they wrapped it up into a nice thirty minute show with like three commercials for Clorox and Arm and & Hammer and Buffalo Wild Wings. You know that show, right? Well, I always thought I always thought that there should be a follow-up show in the second half an hour called Man vs. Poop, which is just that guy in the restroom on his cell phone screaming at his producer just saying, Gary, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this show. This is killing me. I got to get a better contract. I got to put these restaurants further apart. The shooting schedule is just... Not something I can handle, and just half an hour of that, and I feel like you might have some of those similar concerns in the rest of your weekend. I don't appreciate any of that. I've never found that sort of humor funny. All right, well, Saul, you are still the most listened to guest on Landline Podcasts, as far as you know. We really appreciate your energy. Can't wait to find out how the meals went. We look forward to talking to you when you get back to the East coast 
and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks for being on my birthday potpourri podcast. So your mom really voted for Max over me? I think, I mean, do you want to call her? I'll give you the landline. I just am so astonished by that. Well, let's, Mom, if you're listening, call in the landline and uh, leave a message. All right, I'll, I'll happily have that debate with her. All right, we'll do a three-way with her next time. You, me, and my mom will have a three-way. But I will say that she's still the, the best bow tie attire that I've ever come across. All right, um, we will talk to you soon, so I'll have a great time with your family in New Orleans. We're all rooting for you. The landline community is rooting for you. Thank you. We'll right. talk soon. Bye. Landline is hosted, written, and produced by Alex McKay. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. taking this show to the top, baby. You're listening to Landline.